Welcome to the LifeGate Podcast. Our vision is to create moments that change lives. We pray that these weekly messages will be a moment in your day that leads to a change in your life. For more information, visit us online at LifeGateBurleson.com. What's up? 15 years. Come on, somebody nudge your neighbor tell them 15 years. Come on. Wow, it has been 15 years. Come on, God has been so good, hasn't he? Isn't it amazing to be able to celebrate all that God has done at LifeGate Church in 15 years? And I just got to tell you, I've had so much fun doing this. I mean, as we've just kind of led up to this day, we've been doing a lot of reminiscing in order to get the video. And how about the video? Come on, wasn't that cool, right? In order to get that, we had to get some old video footage and some old pictures, and so I had to dig through all of that kind of stuff, and I just got to tell you, I've been so blessed just looking back and sharing it with all y'all. Y'all probably got tired of seeing my things that I posted for the last 10 days. I posted something every day, but man, I don't care if you were tired of it because it was doing something for me as we were just celebrating, reminiscing, thinking about all the incredible things that God has done at LifeGate over the years, and guess what though, guys? He ain't done. Come on, right? And God's got even greater things in store, but it's fun to be able to celebrate now and then. It's fun to be able to think about, look at all the stuff, look what we were wearing, look what we were singing, and all that stuff. In fact, today, come on, give it up for the band. They did some throwback. Like, they threw back the songs, the songs that we sang in 2006, and that first one, for all you've done, and I'm like, yeah, you know, and it's been so fun. And the pop-up shop, come on, who's excited about that? like my gear and there's about seven or eight shirts back there and there's uh, there's stickers and there's water bottles and all kinds of stuff our team has worked so hard on that and they designed all the shirts and did all this stuff set it all up back there and so I think we ought to give it up for them too That's, I'm, I'm telling you it really, really is awesome to be able to celebrate with all of you today. And before we jump into the message, I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for celebrating with us. Some of you are here today and you were at the very first service, September the 9th, 2006. There's only like three of you, I think, that are still part of the church besides Amber and I and the girls. But I just want to say thank you for sticking with us for 15 years. Come on, that is awesome. Others of you... And I know there's a whole bunch more of you in this category have been with us for 10 or more years. Come on, I think we ought to give it up for those. You should receive more than a hand clap. You should receive a medal for putting up with us for the last 10 plus years. And we're so thankful for you. Others of you are fairly new just within the last three, four, five years. And I'm just so thankful that you're part of the church as well. In fact, some of the stories that I'm going to tell this morning, they may be before your time. But I promise you in 15 years from now, I'm going to be telling your stories to people that have not heard it. And so I'm so thankful for you. Then some of you are brand new today. Maybe today even is your first time to worship with us at LifeGate. Hey, you picked a great day to be a part, and we hope that you will be a part of what God is doing at LifeGate from this point forward, because it's not just about what has happened, it's about what God is doing, and the future is bright. Amen? Amen. Amen. So today, I thought since we're, since we're celebrating 15 years, we'd kick off a brand new series called 15 for 15. So everybody say 15 for 15. 
and, and help me out here today. How many have ever seen on ESPN, you've seen the show 30 for 30? Come on, raise your hand all over the room. I see a bunch of guys raising their hand today. When we were talking about this series, that's right, when we were talking about this series, I was saying, hey, this is what we're going to do. And Amber was like, I don't know. I mean, some of the ladies may not know what 30 for 30 is. And I was like, ladies like sports too. Come on, how many ladies that are sports fans in the house? And so maybe you don't know what 30 for 30 is, but you've probably seen one of those documentary type series before. 30 for 30 was like 30 years of ESPN, 30 different stories that they're going to tell. And so some of you may have not seen that, but maybe you've seen Behind the Music or the movies that made us or, you know, the Tiger King. I hope you haven't seen that one. I'm just saying... But you know what I'm talking about, the, the, the documentary type uh, kind of shows. And so what I thought we'd do is just like look back and look ahead, do a little documentary type thing, 15 for 15, and we're going to just give you 15 things that we have learned in the last 15 years. Now, some of you are getting worried. I'm not going to do all 15 today, okay? All right, look at your neighbor and tell them I'm glad, all right. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take five and we're going to do them each week over the next three weeks. And we're going to do it kind of documentary style because in a documentary, you know how it works. Like they always start, you know, what if I told you? You know what I'm saying? And what didn't y'all love? That was my daughter, Briley, who did the voiceover on that. That's pretty cool, right? But in those, in those documentaries, what they always do is they start in the early years, you know, and you see the old pictures and you see what things were like. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to start in the early years. In fact, we kind of broke it down into three kind of categories. And in the early years, here's the main theme that we're going to talk about today. And that is this, the theme was, is identity. And the theme was like, like, we're just kind of trying to figure out who we are as a church. And even deeper than that, like I was having to discover like who I am as a person and as a pastor. So we're going to talk about that. Then next week, we'll talk kind of about the middle years. That's what they do in the documentaries, you know, the middle years. And man, the big thing, theme in the middle years is credibility. And man, we were learning to build some trust and some respect in the, in the, in the community and in the lives of people. And how many know, before you can make a difference in someone's life, they have to trust, you have to have some credibility to be able to speak in their lives. So we'll talk about that next week. And then the last thing I'm so excited about, because the, the, the kind of the now and where we're we're going from now, and we're going to talk about legacy. Everybody say legacy. And we're, we're going to talk about kind of the legacy that we want to leave behind for our children and for the next generation. So let's jump into it today. We're talking about identity just a little bit. And in order for, it, for me to kind of give you these five things that I want to give you today, you've got to have a little bit of context. So some of you have been around a long time. Some of you maybe are new, so I'll just kind of catch you up. Like, I grew up in a pastor's home. I am a, a pastor's kid, but not just a pastor's kid. I'm a pastor's grandkid because my, my grandpa was a pastor as well. And so all my life, that's all that I ever really knew. At the age of 15, God began to call my parents to go to the city of Midland, Texas. Come on, any West Texas people in the house, right? And plant a brand new church. And I remember when God was calling my parents to go and plant that church that God spoke to me as well. I remember specifically, he called me into ministry during that time. And he said, I'm not just calling your parents, but I'm actually calling you as well. So at the age of 15, I felt the call uh, to ministry on my life. And, and then we moved to, to Midland and God blessed our church. And then at the age of 19, I came on staff at the church that my parents had planted as a full-time youth pastor. So you can imagine, I'm 19, I got kids in my youth group that are 18, and I'm the leader, you know what I'm saying? 
And so, man, I've been in this thing a long time. And in fact, this year, celebrating 25 years in full-time ministry. Come on, some of y'all are adding up. How old is he, you know? And, and so at the age of 19, became the youth pastor. But then at the age of 24, just five years later, I actually became the lead pastor of the church that my parents planted. Amber was just 20, uh, 21 at the time. So can you imagine having a, a pastor, 24, and pastor's wife that's 21? We had so much wisdom to share. I'm just telling you, <laughs> all the life experience. And yet God blessed us and he used us. The church was blessed and the church grew and like it was our hometown. And so we'd grown up there. Amber and I met there. Her family went to church. Her mom and dad lived in the area, went to church there. Like we had two little girls that were, you know, two year old and one year old. And like we were kind of set. It was a good church, kind of set for life, lived in a a nice home and a nice neighborhood. I mean, we could have stayed there forever, but God began to speak to our hearts about, about a new work, about leaving what we had known and moving to a new community that we didn't know any people and we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't have any money. We really didn't have anything to move to Burleson and plant a church. Now you can imagine that that would be scary, right? Can you imagine leaving your job that's secure, going to a place to start a new business or start something new? You don't know anything. You don't know how you're going to do it. No one's going to happen. You got two little girls. You got a wife that grew up, you know, in her hometown and her mom still lives there and goes to all this kind of stuff. And so I remember going, God, I don't know what we're going to do on this thing. And I don't know. I need to hear from you. And I remember he spoke to me. He gave me a, he gave me a word, a a passage of scripture that has been like, like our life. You know, we hold on to it during difficult times. And it was in Psalm 128 verse one. And this is what it says, said, blessings on all who reverence and trust the Lord on all who obey him. Your reward will be prosperity and happiness. Your wife will be content in her home. And look at those children. There they sit around the dinner table vigorous and healthy like young olive trees that is God's reward to those that reverence and trust him I guess they're putting it on the screen did I get it all right did I I'm pretty good right and man I know that the Lord gave me that verse and so I was scared but I wasn't scared because it was like God said he's going to take care of my kids and my wife and he's going to bless us and, and so in my mind, I thought, we're going to move to Burleson. I'm going to preach so good. Our church is going to be so great that people are going to flock for miles to become part of the church because God called us to do it. He's going to bless it, and it's going to be successful. Problem was, it wasn't. <laughs> At least not in the way I thought that it was going to be. Like, I, I remember, like, during t- in about 2006, there were tons of churches that were being planted. We were just one of a dozen that were being planted at the same time. And here's what I discovered. Nobody knew who I was. Nobody cared who I was. <laughs> Nobody wanted to come to our church. This thing that God had called us to that was, that was like, so deep in my heart, and nobody cared about it. And I got to tell you, like, that was a major hit to my identity, like to my, to my confidence. To this point, we had been pretty successful in, in ministry. Youth pastor at 19 and the youth group grew. We were one of the biggest youth groups in town. Now, now I'm pastoring at 24. The church is growing. Like, we had been successful to this point and now here we are stepping out in faith, doing what God called us to do and it's just like, what is going on? And so what I remember the most is it was like God had to, had to break me down to teach me how to depend upon him so that he could build me back up 
In fact, I remember some of those early days, man. We started having services in the Hughley Fitness Center. Anybody know where that is? Out on 35? And there was a church that was already meeting in there on, uh, on Sunday morning. So they said you could have it on Saturday nights. And so we would set our stuff up on Saturday nights. And, you know, I was the worship leader back then. I played the keyboard and I led the worship. And we had a guy, you know, that would, had become part of our team. He said, I play the guitar. Found out later he was just kind of learning to play the guitar. So he just had, you know, a few chords. So we were just like, capo, baby. You know what I'm saying? And just like, and, and we would do all that. And I remember on Saturday nights, I'd stand out there in that lobby with this big giant, you know, these, those windows that are out there. And I remember I'd just pray, God, please let somebody new show up tonight. God, just somebody that I don't already, somebody that's not my mom and dad. You know what I'm saying? Like somebody... And Saturday night after Saturday night after Saturday, like they didn't show up, y'all. And it was, a, it was a hit to my confidence, to my identity. And here's what I know is, I, I didn't see it at the time, but looking back, what I know is that God was breaking me down so that he could turn around and build me up. And there are some of you that maybe you're struggling with your confidence or your identity today. And let me just tell you something. Sometimes God has to step us backwards so that he can propel us forwards. In fact, that's my key thought for today. If you're taking notes, you can write it down. And that is this. When you get busy building something for God, God gets busy building something in you. Come on, when you get busy doing something, building something for God, God begins to get busy building something inside of you. And that's what I discovered in my life. And that's what I want you to discover today. In fact, this is the lesson that we learned from this guy that I want to look at for just a few minutes today. In Judges chapter 6, a guy by the name of Gideon. Everybody say Gideon. Gideon. Now, Gideon was a guy who had been called by God similar to the way that we were called by God. And yet Gideon was a guy who was struggling with his identity. He was struggling with his confidence. And here he is. He's hiding out. The Bible says in this, like, he's not exactly like ready to be a warrior. Here he is hiding from the Midianites down in this kind of in this wine press. And the angel of the Lord appears to him. And look what it says in Judges chapter 6 and verse 11. And the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of Ophrah and that belonged to Joash where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep from the Midianites and when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon he said the Lord is with you mighty warrior and notice what Gideon says uh pardon me Lord <laughs> but if the Lord is with us then why has all this happened to us in other words, like Gideon's a guy who was a lot like me. Like, God, I want to do what you call me to do, but like if you're really with me, then why is all this bad stuff happening? And why is there not any good stuff happening? Like, like God, you're saying I'm a mighty warrior, but I don't feel much like a mighty warrior. In fact, that leads me to my first thought of the five today. If you're taking notes, you can write them down. And that is this, God sees more in you than you think. Come on, everybody nudge your neighbor and tell him. Come on, God sees more in you than you think. God sees more in you than you think. In fact, here's Gideon. He didn't obviously see very much in himself. Check it out in verse number 15. Look what he says. He says, pardon me, Lord, but how can I save Israel when my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least of my family? Basically, Gideon's going like... 
God, you're saying mighty warrior, but I'm saying I come from a small town. I come from a family that's not very well known. And not only that, like I'm the worst, I'm the least, I'm the smallest in my family. Basically, he was saying I'm the guy who never gets picked for the team out on the soccer field. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm a nobody. I don't have very much to offer. And yet here was the deal is that God saw way more in Gideon than Gideon saw in himself. And some of you need to realize that today, that God sees more in you than you may even see in yourself. And the truth is, I think many of us are like Gideon in many ways. Like we struggle with our confidence. I know I do. We struggle with our identity, like who am I and why would God choose me? And here's what I know. It's not just people who are unsuccessful that struggle with this. Even people who have had measures of success in life, in business, in ministry, in family, in things, even people who have seen God do things in their life still struggle with it. I'll tell you, in those early years, this was my deepest struggle. Even as the church began to, began to kind of grow, I mean, it didn't take off real fast, but it would begin to grow and we began to see people become part of the church and God was obviously at work and yet... Even in the middle of all that, I, w- I found myself like I would question. And man, you know, we'd have one family leave the church. And I'd think, oh no, there it is, it's all going to fall apart. Like, I mean, it's just a matter of time. Like, like we'd have one Sunday where the attendance was low. And I'd wake up Monday morning going, man, here it is. You know, if everybody, just, if everybody just knew that I have no idea what I'm really doing, like if everybody could just peel back the curtain and see who I really was, they wouldn't want to be a part of our church. And even as God was blessing, there was still this struggle of this confidence and this identity deep down inside of me. And here's what I know. I'm not the only one that has that sometimes. In fact, there's actually a psychological term for it. It's called the imposture syndrome. Anybody ever heard of that before? Actually, psychologists say that about 7 out of 10 people deal with what they call the imposter syndrome, which basically just means that no matter how much success that I have, no matter how blessed I am, no matter how many good things or victories that I have, I always feel like I'm just one step away from it all falling apart. If the veil was torn back and everybody really saw, they would really realize that I have no idea what I'm doing. Many of you experience it. I experienced it. Gideon experienced it. But here's what I want you to see. God sees more in you than you think. And here's what you've got to do. You've got to learn to agree with God's opinion of you. That's what Gideon had to do. I'm not a mighty warrior. And he had to learn before he could move on to do what God had called him to do, to agree with. If God says this, if God thinks this about me, then that must be true. In fact, I love this quote that I I saw just a couple of weeks ago from John Maxwell. Look what he says. He says, you are not what you think you are. You are not what others think you are. But you are becoming what you think the most important person in your life thinks you are. Now think about that for just a second, all right? Think about this. If you're a follower of Jesus, who should be the most important person in your life? Jesus, God, right? And here's what he's saying. He's saying, you're not what you think you are. You're not what other people think you are. Let me just say it like this. You're not even what God thinks you are. You are becoming what you think God thinks you are. Because how many know it doesn't matter what God thinks about you? 
if you don't agree with what God thinks about you and begin to live it out in your life. God thought Gideon was a mighty warrior. Gideon thought God thought he was a little runt from a bad family and a bad time and a bad town. It wasn't until Gideon decided to agree with what God thought about him that he could step into his destiny. There's more in you. You're more than you think you are. God thinks and sees more in you than you think you do. Notice number two. You have more in you than you think you do. Here's Gideon and he goes, man, I'm a nobody. I don't have very much. I don't have anything to offer. But look what the Lord says in verse number 14. But go in the what? In the strength you have. And save Israel out of the Midian's hands. For I am sending you. Gideon's like, I don't have anything to offer. And God goes, I just want you to use what you got. I remember when we first started the church. Truth is, guys, we didn't have much to offer. Like we didn't have, uh, you know, we didn't have a building. We didn't have very many people. We didn't have any money. Like we didn't have a full-time worship pastor. I was the worship pastor, you know what I'm saying? Like we didn't have a full-time kids pastor. Pastor Amber was the kids pastor. We didn't have a youth pastor. We didn't have any youth, okay? I'm just saying like. (laughs) We didn't have nothing to offer. But I remember talking to our team and saying, you know what? Every church in town has more than we have. But I'm telling you something. We got people, we got something maybe all the, those other churches, maybe they don't have. We got love. And God has called us to come here and love people and accept them just the way that they are. And so we built that. That was the strategy of building the church was just saying, hey, we may not have the nicest building. We don't even have a building. We may not have the greatest programs and the most excellence. We're going to do everything we can with as much excellence as we can. But here's what we can do that maybe others are not doing. We can love people just like they are. We can accept people who are far from God. We can bring them in. We can create a family. Guess what? That's what we have been doing for the last 15 years. Guys, hey, there's better preachers out there. There's better churches that have greater, you know, worship or nicer buildings or better kids programs. And ours are awesome. Amen. But there's bigger and better out there. But I'm just telling you something. We are a family and God has called us to love one another and love God together. And this is what we have to offer even 15 years later. What do we have? Go with what you got. You got more than you think you do. In fact, I'll tell you this. A thing that I've learned probably, like if I were to do all the lessons for the last 15 years and break them down to just one, the deepest lesson I've learned in the last 15 years is this. There's more in me than I think. Every time we'd face an obstacle, every time we'd experience a setback, every time I'd feel like I don't got it, I can't do it, I'm ready to give up. This is too hard. I'd have to dig down deeper. And the lesson I would learn was, God sees more in me than I think. And he's put more in me than I think. I'm just going to go in the strength that I have. That leads me to my third thought, and that is this, is that failure is not always what you think. Here's Gideon. God calls him. Finally, he agrees with what God says. Okay, I don't feel like a mighty warrior, but God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do what you want me to do. He begins to step out, and what happens? I mean, is it like all of a sudden they just go and fight and win? No, no, that's not what happens. 
Here he is in Judges chapter 7 and verse 2. I'll just kind of paraphrase it. Basically, Gideon's like, okay, I don't feel like a mighty warrior, but at least I got 22,000 troops here that we can kind of go to war together. And 22,000 is not enough for the, you know, the million troops that the Midianites have, but at least it's a start. At At least it's something. And then God goes, no, no, that's too many. And he takes the 22,000 through this, this kind of interesting story that I won't get into all of But he takes the 22,000 troops and whittles it down to 300 troops. You talk about a failure. Can you imagine? Here's Gideon's first attempt at leading an army. And the first thing that happens is he goes from 22,000 troops, subtracts whatever it is, 21,700 troops. Now he's only got 300 can you imagine how he's feeling? Can you imagine what's happening in getting as he's going, man, my first attempt and I am a, I'm a failure. But of course we know the story, like the setback was not, not just a setback, what it was, it was a setup for God to use him in even greater ways. Man, I remember the early days of the church, but I remember how, you know, here we are, we moved here and, and we're, we're looking around for a place to have services. And so, man, I looked at, I mean, we thought we were going to meet at the movie theater and the movie theater wouldn't let us meet there. So I thought, well, okay, we'll find a school and try to meet at a school. No, the school wouldn't let us meet there. And so I thought, well, hey, let's look for a, you know, an event center. And man, I had this long list of like places that we were going to try to meet and just nothing was happening. So I'm praying, I'm saying, Lord, you know, you got to open a door for us. And lo and behold, he opens this door for us, as I said earlier, to meet at the Hughley Fitness Center. Problem was we had to meet there on Saturday nights. And so we said, well, hey, that's better than nothing. So we start meeting on Saturday nights. But of course, as I said earlier, like every Saturday night, like we found it, there's nobody's coming to church on Saturday nights. It's the Bible Belt, y'all, you know what I'm saying? And families, they got kids that play soccer on Saturdays and they'd be like, hey, I was going to come, but we got caught up at the soccer field or like nothing was happening. And then, of course, we, you know, we, we live in an area that's got a lot of Seventh-day Adventists. So people were like, hey, you're Seventh-day Adventist people. And we're like, no, no, we're not. Like we wouldn't meet on Sundays if we had a Sunday. We just don't have a place to meet on Sundays. And it was very evident about, oh, seven or eight months in, this ain't going to work unless we find somewhere to meet on Sundays. So I pull out my list and I just start going through one by one. Hey, maybe I'll try that place again. No, rejected. Maybe that place, no, I said no. I had this list in my notebook, I remember. Because back then we didn't have iPhones, you know, so I had a notebook. And I remember I'd gotten to the very last place, totally, completely in a different area of town than I even wanted to be. I thought, well, this is the last chance to find somewhere to meet on Sundays. And so I drive up, there's a YMCA up off Sycamore School in South Fort Worth. And they said no. And I remember driving down Sycamore School Road tears running down my face as I'm going, God, what are you doing? I know you called us. I know that I'm being obedient. Man, I just can't seem to catch a break. Anybody ever felt like that before? I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe this is too much failure. I don't know if I can handle it. Driving home, wiping the tears from my eyes, just saying, but God, You said just be faithful, and so we just kept trying to be faithful. Two weeks later, get a phone call from our overseer, Pastor Darius. He says, hey, I've been praying for you guys and for your church. I've just been thinking like, hey, there's this church building here in Burleson over here on Thomas Street. 
and the church doesn't have a pastor and they're really struggling. What would you think about taking your congregation? We had about 30 people at the time, moving into that building and that would be, that'd be yours. I was like, I don't even have to pray about it. Let's move in right now, come on. (laughs) What I thought was a failure was actually a setup. What Gideon thought was a failure was actually a setup for God to come through and do big things in his life. And some of you are here and maybe you're experiencing things that look like failures, but maybe that pulling you back is maybe just so that God can shoot you forward into greater things because God sees more in you than you think. He's put more in you than you think. And the failures and the setbacks, they're not what you think. Maybe God is using them to spring you forward. I got to just tell you, 2020 and 2021 have been the most difficult years of my life in ministry. I've cried many tears. I've grieved many losses, but can I just tell you, here's what I'm holding on to. Maybe it looks like a failure, but maybe that setback is actually going to spring us forward into greater things that God has in store for us. Because there's more in you than you think. God sees more in you than you think. The failure is not what you think, but then notice the fourth thing, and that is this, is that things ain't going to happen the way that you think. Judges chapter 7 and verse 15, here's Gideon, he's like, okay, I only got three or 300 men, but at least I got swords, at least I got spears, at least we can go fight, and God goes, no, 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 that ain't how we're going to do it, it's not going to be traditional warfare, here's what I want you to do, put the spears and the swords and the shields and the stuff aside, and what I want you to do is I want you to take a clay pot, and I want you to take a torch, and I want you to take a trumpet, and I want you to go to the Midianite and I want you to I want you to light the torch I want you to break the clay pot I want you to blow the trumpet come on not exactly wartime strategy you know what I'm saying it didn't happen the way that Gideon thought that it was going to happen I gotta tell you man what God has done in this last 15 years it it hadn't happened the way I thought it was going to happen In fact, I thought, hey, we're going to move here. We're going to build this thing on my talent and my ability. And everybody's going to want to come to my church because my good looks. Come on, amen. (laughs) Y'all shouldn't laugh so hard. That makes me feel bad. But God chose to use my weakness. Not my strategy. My weakness. I remember in 2010, church had begun to grow. Things were happening. We were running about 175 people on a Sunday morning. And I thought, man, we're we're getting ready to break through that 200 barrier. I got a strategy. This is how this thing's going to work. And we're going to start two services. And we're going to do, you know, this special message series. We're going to do this stuff. And man, you know, we're going to build this thing past the 200 barrier. Guess what, guys? That ain't the way it worked. Because on Mother's Day 2011, I got a call. The call said, Pastor, we need to talk to you. And so I said, okay. So we meet. What I find out, long story short, is that one of our staff members' spouse had a moral failure, an affair with another person in the church. I thought, man, this is going to be it. I mean, our church is only four years old. 150, 175 people. Things like this split churches all the time. We're not going to make it. And thankfully, I had some good mentors and pastors and coaches in my life that helped us figure out what to do. In fact, what we did was we, we set up meetings. We had about 100 
families that attended the church at that time, I set up meetings starting on Monday afternoon all the way through Saturday and met me and Amber one-on-one with every single family that attended our church just to share with them what had happened, how we were going to move forward. And what I thought was going to destroy the church actually turned out to be that all those meetings and all that stuff, like it solidified the church and the people pulled together and there was this unity and suddenly we had lost our youth pastor and half our worship team and all this stuff, but people didn't care. They were like, we love our church and we love our pastor and we're doing this thing. And in the middle of like one of the most difficult things I've ever had to lead through as a pastor, it wasn't my strategy. It wasn't my sermon series. It wasn't like, hey, we're going to do this thing to go. No, it was in the middle of this difficult situation that we actually broke through the 200 barrier for the first time as a church. It didn't happen the way that I thought it was going to happen. Some of you are facing some stuff. I'm just going to tell you, it ain't going to happen the way you think. In fact, let me just say this. You want to make God laugh? Just show him your plans. You know what I'm saying? It's like the, the meme. I don't know if they got a chance to put it in there or not, but it's the one that's like, you know, my, what I think my plan is and then God's plan. Come on, anybody ever experienced that before? It don't happen the way you think. But guess what? God's faithful. Y'all are laughing because that's real life right there. God's faithful. There's more in you than you think. God sees more in you than you think. And the failures are not what you think. And it ain't going to happen the way that you think. But then notice this last one. And that is this. It's a whole lot less about you than you think. And this whole message is about identity and confidence and all that stuff. And I want you to build that. God has built that in me. But I'll tell you, the lesson I've learned the most, it ain't about me. And it ain't up to me. In fact, Gideon goes, I don't know if I can do it. And you know why I think he did that? I think because he thought all the pressure's on me. I got to do it. And God goes, the pressure ain't on you. Pressure's on me. Like, you don't have to do it. I'm going to do it. I think that's why the Lord whittled them down from 22,000 men to 300 men. And the whole reason he wouldn't let them use swords and and spears and all that kind of stuff because he wanted them to know it ain't about you. And and it's not up to you. And all the pressure's not on you because I am with you. In fact, notice what he says in in our passage right here in Judges chapter chapter 6 and verse number 16. Gideon's like, I can't do it. And look what the Lord says. He says, I will be what? With you. It's not about your power. It's about his presence. And man, if we could get that. Man, take the pressure off. I tell you, I still, I still have trouble learning this lesson. Because I put all this pressure on myself to make it all happen. But guess what? If God called me to do it, then the pressure's on him to make it happen. If God called you to do it, pressure's on him. All you do is just walk in obedience. Just continue to follow him. And just know, hey, he sees more in you than you think. And there is more in you than you think. But it's not all up to you. In fact, it reminds me of this one last story. I'll close with this. A guy named Stacy King, he played basketball for the Chicago Bulls. Can't do 15 for 15 without having a, a sports illustration, right? Back in the 90s, back in the kind of the Michael Jordan heyday, right? Remember that? Remember the Bulls back then? And Michael Jordan on this night in 1990, he had one of his career best ever games, scored 69 points, career high, incredible. 
And in that game, Stacy King was a, he was a, a rookie and he came in at the very end of the game and he shot one free throw and made one point. And after the game was over, the reporters were, of course, they interviewed Michael Jordan, but then after that, they interviewed Stacey King, and they were kind of giving him a hard time. He said, well, what do, you, what do you think about the fact that Jordan scored 69 points, and you, you're a rookie, you scored one point? And I love what he said. He said, I will always remember the night that I combined with Michael Jordan for 70 points. <laughs> And man, when I think about 15 years at LifeGate, it's kind of, I kind of feel like Stacy King. Because God's the one that does it. Oh, we do our part. We've worked hard to do the best we can. It ain't about us. It's about Him. Some of you are going, I don't know if I can do what God's called me to do. God's put big dreams in your heart. Telling you, if you can just score one, God will do the other 69. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes to me all over this room today? Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. 15 years, wow, amazing. God, I pray that the work would not just be about what has happened, but about what is going to happen even in this moment right now our vision, creating moments, changing lives. Let this be a life-changing moment in Jesus' name. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Maybe you're here today. Maybe truth is you hear me talking about living for a purpose and you're going, I don't have a purpose. Let me just tell you something. There is no purpose without Jesus. Others of you are going, man, life has not gone according to the way I planned it. Let me just tell you something. You can make your plans, but the Bible says it's the Lord who directs your steps. Here's what I know, Romans 8, 28 says this, that God works all things together for good, even the good, the bad, all the difficult stuff for good for those that, that what, that love him, but also for those that are called according to his purpose. Here's the truth. If you're living your life for Jesus, you can know that everything is going to work out. It may not go like you planned it, but it's going to work out. But here's the thing. If you're not living for Jesus, there's no guarantee of that. But you can have that guarantee today. It begins with the relationship with Jesus Christ.